Today's passage comes from Luke 15, um, 11 to 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on his feet. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your servant has killed the fattened calf because his son has come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, came home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, Well... You know, it's really a very challenging day today to determine what you're going, what direction we're going to go for our uh, time together. We could choose earthquakes or fire drills or just about anything. But we'll probably try to stick with the, the Father's Day part of it. That's a little bit more tame, I suppose. You know, when, um, when I was trying to think about a sermon topic or something, I, we all know this story, and we usually focus in on the obvious part, which is the Son. 
But since today is Father's Day, I decided to look at it a little bit differently. About a year ago, I received a, a card from my sons. As you know, I have three. And um, they sent me the, a card that they had made themselves. And here's what it said on the outside of their card. Happy Father's Day, old man. And then they said, Happy Father's Birthday, old man. We know you can't read the font without help, but we love you anyway. Uh, tomorrow is my birthday. So every year, Father's Day and birthday kind of mix together. But it's always uh, encouraging to hear from your children that they haven't totally forgotten you as they've gotten a little older and so have you. But uh, today as we think about what is Father's Day to us, you know, I, I actually bothered to look it up and find out where did this idea come from. And Mother's Day and Father's Day both occurred a little over a hundred years ago in their creation. And um, it, while that's true, it was not until 1972 before it became a national holiday in the United States. And I thought that was interesting. The, uh, because even when I was young, I remember we had something about Father's Day before that but it wasn't formalized until 1972. But when you think about your father, I remember certainly myself toward my father or my sons toward me. I cannot imagine them ever coming in and saying, Good morning, Father. For them it was usually Ba or Pa or, or Baba or Lodal or, or, or something. But they had different terms for... You know, we all have an affectionate way, usually, of communicating with our fathers. And we may refer to them as father when somebody comes to our house and says, this is my father. And then immediately when they turn around and say, Bob, what do you think about this? Or Dad, what do you think about that? So we have different terms. But today we're going to be thinking a little bit about the story that we read in Luke a few moments ago. And as you know, I have very high respect for Scripture. I believe that we need to start with Scripture and allow it to teach us how to live and not us tell the Scripture what we think is right. It, I've heard, I guess, too many sermons where I've heard people that kind of picked and chose from the Scripture, put it all together and then convinced people that what they were saying was actually what God had for them. But I really do believe that in context is an appropriate way to allow the Bible to speak to us. And that is what we find here today. Now, there are a couple of scriptures before we begin to look at Luke that I find also very helpful to me. Proverbs 22.6 states, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. This is a, a training comment to challenge fathers, to, to, to remind them that we have responsibilities as parents. How our, what we see later on in life in our children's life, unfortunately, sometimes is a reflection of the kind of training we have or have not provided. Really, Christian fathers, I would say to you, we cannot abdicate that responsibility to our schools or our society or our friends or our uncles or anyone else. We do have a joy, a privilege, and a responsibility to recognize that training our children is important. Yet, Ephesians 6.4 is another scripture 
that I also have to pay attention to is this. Fathers, do not exasperate or irritate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's saying that apparently instruction and training in the Lord includes the idea of not just coming down heavily on our children, frustrating them, making them confused and irritated. Because we have to remember as fathers, sorry, mothers, I'm not ignoring you. You had your day, it's our turn. You know, as fathers though, we have responsibility for recognizing that in a sense, for our children, we do sort of represent our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father, how He has treated us all in a sense, is a model for us in challenging ourselves, how do I treat my children? And He was very clear and is very clear on a daily basis what He values, talking about the Heavenly Father. And we as fathers also must be clear in what we value and what we think is important for our children. But we cannot do it, as the Scripture says here, in a way that irritates and is just constantly jabbing them. Now, I say that, and it's so much easier to stand here and preach it and to recognize, but I do need to recognize I've had my bad days too. There's no one in this room who hasn't probably said things at times that we regret or wish we could take back and word it differently. Well, those are some of the kind of things that in Ephesians 6, 4, when I see, do not exasperate or irritate your children, but to train them. Words of warning, yes. Words of clarification for us, yes. But I think there's an important idea in this that it is possible, according to Scripture, for a father to alienate a son or a daughter. Our words can put gaps in between us. And we have to take that serious because, indeed, to be a father, you know, today's Father's Day, it's not Husband's Day, it's not Good Guy's Day. It's a day that we're, we're trying to focus in. Now, again, Father's Day is not a Christian holiday. Father's Day is celebrated all over in all kinds of ways. I've known people in some countries that Father's Day was the day that the father took the child out and they did some things that were less than moral on Father's Day to celebrate Father's Day. But for us, our responsibility as Christian fathers is to remember that we do represent the Lord Jesus Christ with our lives. Several weeks ago, uh, a kind of a small miracle happened. I'm, I'm not a normal... Now, I know for those young people in our church, McDonald's is sort of the king of the world around here because it's so nearby. If we had Wendy's nearby, you might go there instead, but it happens to be McDonald's. But a couple of weeks ago, I happened to go to a McDonald's, which, as I say, is a miracle because that happens to me a few times a year. And we were... My wife and I were there for breakfast and... We were just quietly eating and suddenly there were, they had some kind of a PlayStation behind me for kids to be able to play. And it was built in, had the screen and the whole thing. The kids were having a great time. There were a couple of children around 10 years of age, and I'll say around because I'm sure that the, the boy was probably more like 8 or 9. And they were playing and having a great time. And then I started hearing, and I want you to recognize I'm quoting something here, This does not naturally come out of my mouth, certainly not in the way that I'm about to say it. 
But I started hearing this statement over and over and over from this little girl about 10 years old playing the game said, Oh my God! Oh my God! And it was that kind of a pronunciation the way she was doing it. And I was sitting there feeling extremely uncomfortable because again, to me, Scripture is important. And how we treat the name of God according to Scripture in Exodus 20 you don't treat it lightly. You don't treat it with disrespect. In the term in the Scripture says, don't treat it in vain. And so I was listening, just getting more and more uncomfortable. And then, out of the same little mouth of this nice little ten-year-old kid that's screaming this thing, suddenly he says, well, damn! And I physically turned just in amazement that this is the quality of children we're developing today. You know, today's Father's Day, so we're talking about how do we handle our responsibility as fathers. And when I turned around, probably the greater shock occurred because at that point I recognized her mother and father were sitting in the table right behind them. Apparently oblivious to the language of their children. We have responsibilities, certainly as Christians, but we do live in a world that has different, different values, different thinking, certainly no understanding of Exodus 20 and the idea that we can use God's name inappropriately. So I want to challenge you and challenge me. I kept sitting there thinking, how in the world... Do these parents think that that's acceptable or normal? Today we're going to be looking at Luke 15, 11 to 32, focusing in on the Father. It's a very simple. I've started off with Father's understanding and patience with youth. And that's simply because at the beginning of the story, simply stated, we know the youth, the younger of the sons, comes walking into Dad one day and he says, uh, I want my one-third of our family inheritance. I know I'm going to get it anyway. I want it now. I want to go out. I want to be able to have fun. I want to do what I want to do. I don't doubt at all that that father recognized early on that that was an extremely disrespectful thing to do culturally. The idea, because, you know, in essence, the son was saying, you know, I just want the things. I don't care whether you're alive or dead. I want the things you can give me, and I want it when I want it. Undoubtedly, the father probably knew of the level of mistake that his son was making in asking for this at this point of his life. He certainly could see how his son was not uh, thinking in a way that would seem anything like normal within his culture. You know, youth make mistakes. I made many mistakes. I still make mistakes. But youth make mistakes, and this father undoubtedly grasped uh, the lack of maturity in his son. And yet, fascinatingly enough, he allowed the son to have what he asked for. He chose to let the son learn life's lessons. He, according to the Scripture, it doesn't even leave the impression that he didn't even give the mandated typical father lecture 
that comes with any kind of a request like that. And certainly I know when I read this story and I look at it from a father's perspective, not our normal way of reading the Scripture, where we usually are talking about the son, but as a father, my goodness, I think always you give, you got to, it's almost built in. You have to say why you're doing this and why it's wrong. I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying that's our normal pattern. But what we see in here is that he didn't do that. He apparently just gave the son what he thought. He said, well, I'm going to let you learn your own hard lesson and I'm going to give you what you requested. Interesting question would be, did that break the relationship between father and son? We don't really know. We don't know the details of that. The father surely knew that his son was not a, a great investor who was getting the money and the, getting the things with the idea of going out and buying something to build up. A, he knew his son was going to waste some of it. But as we, we, we look at this, freedom of choice was somehow highly valued by this father in recognizing that allowing the choice to go forward in his own life in the way that he thinks he was. Somehow this father thought, I've got to allow my son the freedom to make a mistake. I suppose he concluded that his son might grow and might mature. But that is really frightening. Very hard to do. I know as a father, when I let my sons make mistakes, which I have done before, it's always difficult. Another thing, father's heart of love and forgiveness. We don't know if the youth thought very much about his father while he was gone. He took off, he got everything he had, put all of the things that the father had given him, and took off and went to a faraway country. Went and spent, but we don't know if he got up in the morning and said, gee, I wonder what's going on back home. We can guess that apparently that was not the case because his main goal was to have fun, to have friends, and to build a, a, a different kind of life. Apparently not even considering how to manage what he owned because eventually he ran out of all of his resources. His selfish sin of secular living without God was revealed. Suddenly he was having to evaluate, well, what am I doing with my life? Up until then, he hadn't really thought about it. And so he was just having a great time. But once everything was used up, he had to come up with an idea for how I'm going to stay alive today. And he came up with this very unfortunate kind of work. Having to go out and just feed the pig. Well, now for Jewish people, you can well imagine how embarrassing that would be. Surely you don't want any of your old friends from back home to learn what you're doing. Because your old friends, your classmates, the ones you grew up with, if they learned you were feeding a pig, you had already reached the depths of society. And so it, it's, it's fascinating that, that yet in the midst of all this, this father's love continues to exist with, even though there is not direct contact going on. Because the father, still in his heart, has two sons. The problem was not the son was not, uh, was the son's thinking, and really, his his thinking was that he no longer required the assistance of a father that was back home. The father broke custom. We know the story says that there was a certain point where the son says, "I give up." What I'm doing isn't working. Feeding pigs isn't going to work. I'm headed home. Because maybe my father will at least treat me like a servant. And I know my father's that good of a man. 
and know that He cares for His servants. He treats people well. I know His pattern in life. And that's a good thing about the Father. The Father had already presented that enough. The Son remembered what He had seen. And yet it was this very same Son that had taken all of His things at an early time, an inappropriate time, away in the sense of His inheritance and ran away. But now suddenly His mind, according to what the Scripture says, it came to Him. A clarity that said, I need to get my life back together. And so He goes back home, a lot of humility, The father is still there doing his work. He's still working with son number one. Number one son, faithful, going right after it. They go to work every day. Life is good. Father is happy with his son. Things are happening there. And I'm sure in the back of his mind, don't know what happened to number two son. But we're just going to keep going. And then we see coming down the road a filthy, smelly, no, no shoes on, tramp. A beggar. Someone that, you, you know, it's even hard to recognize coming up from down the road and he recognizes that that filthy thing down there, that thing with poor clothing and not looking like much, is my son. This is the number two son who is coming back. And so the proper response from a normal, I'll call him normal, for many fathers, I'll say that, would be, Well, let me think about what I'm going to do when he gets up here. I see him coming. I know he's coming home. You can tell he certainly has used up every bit of his resource for life. Uh, I'm going to have to give him a good lecture. have to consider whether or not I would even accept him back into my family. He broke the relationship, not me. You know, Father's a human being. He's just trying to figure out how can I figure out to communicate with my son. But none of that happened. None of what I just said happened. Instead, this father looked down the road and broke tradition. You know, we're looking at, at people that were very proud. They had their rights, their wrongs, their customs of acceptability, those things that were not acceptable. According to the Scripture, he went running to his son. That's very much a break in custom. Very much revealing unconditional forgiveness. Unconditional forgiveness. Running to his son and saying, I'm going to accept him back no matter what. No lecture, just love. I love verses 22 and 23. Verses 22 and 23, because they show a father that placed his best rope. Now remember, dirty, smelly, smelled a pig. Remember, from their, from their perspective, now, they're, they're obviously not Cantonese. Uh, Cantonese, we, we, we love our pork. But they don't. For them, it's a filthy animal. So they're looking at it, and it's going to smell like pigs. He's going to have dirt all over him. Just it says that he took his robe, his best robe, and a ring and sandals and put on him. You know, at least he could have said, okay, go home, son, get a shower, Clean up a little bit, and then maybe I'll try to find you something to wear. But that's not what he did. He says that immediately, he jumped in and he said, I've got to show to all of these servants, all of these workers, all of these people, that this is my son and I still love him. I still care about him. He still has value to me. 
Wow, what a father. Now, how many of you and me as fathers would have that kind of courage? Would we think through the idea that people are watching us and how we treat our son is important? That's what we look at here. It goes through. It says, you know, as we think about this, we do recognize that this story very much presents for us a relationship between God the Father and us as children. And God the Father is toward us the same way in that while we are filthy, while we are dirty, while we have been disrespectful, He still shows His love for us. In Romans 8.1, it says, There's, uh, There is therefore no, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The reminder in looking at this father's story is very clear to us that God is the same way toward us. We are all much like this son. Extreme love is needed for us. And God just desires our humility, our self-reflection, and our return to His arms so that He can give us a robe and a ring in His care. The question for you and for me is, are we humble enough to accept our relationship with Him as it is? The Father's consistency of care, number three. The Father must have truly been in touch with His emotions in a unique way. Because in verse 20, we saw that the Father broke cultural norm by running to number two son, to welcoming Him, giving Him all these things. But you know, if we look in verse 28, we see some response toward, from number one son. And number one son also shows us a lot about the father. Because in, in verse 28, we see that this elder son was just as arrogant as number two son. We tend to see one and think, well, he's bad. That one may not be as bad. But in this story, we can see very clearly, even though number one son was faithful, stayed there working, with dad and did all did everything he was supposed to do. In truth, in his heart, he was dealing with a lot of issues. He very much felt that he was doing things in order that God would appreciate him, that his father would appreciate him, that his friends would see what he's doing. There was a lot of motivational challenge within who he was. He had, I don't doubt at all that both of these two boys were trained up correctly. Father, Dad, had done a good job. You and I can do a good job. But ultimately, the decisions that our children make are not always in our hands. You, but it is our responsibility to train them up correctly. And I think this father believed that somehow his son would come back. So seeing number two son come back, very, very happy. But yet this same father, as we're looking even in verse 28, at the number one son, and how that number one son is saying, Dad, Dad, I deserve more. You're number two son. He's been a jerk. He ran off and spent all that he had. I stayed here and kept working. Don't you, don't you respect me a little bit? You don't give me a party. I don't have a new ring. I don't have sandals. What, what's, what's, the, what's the deal? I don't understand. You're just unfair. We love to talk about fairness in our world today. But what we see here is a father that's willing to go 
the second mile. He's doing it in order to reach out to a family as they humble themselves. And this applies to both sons. So lest we ever become egotistical enough to think, I'm doing okay, we may not be. Our very thinking that we're doing okay may be part of our problem. And that's what was going on in the heart of son number one. In verses 31 and 32, we see a father that never gives up. He over and over is reaching out to, the, to his son, even when it isn't easy. Now, I say this to remind us, today's understanding of a father as we look at the Scripture, the intent is not for us to think back on our own father and say, wow, he did a poor job. The intent is not to say, gee, I'm doing a horrible job. The intent is simply to say the Holy Heavenly Father is always doing a good job. He is always forgiving us. He's always allowing us a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. I'm so thankful that our Father, our Heavenly Father, is so much more impactful and successful than our earthly Father. And I'm certainly thankful that He is not limited by our skills as a father. And yet we look at the Scripture and we see the model He's given us. Hang in there, dads. Keep loving your children. Even though they may do things you do not understand or do not relate to or do not value. It's so much easier to judge than it is to show our love. But that's our responsibility. We're supposed to care. And one thing I think that helps that to happen is if we look at Matthew 6, verses 5 to 13. This is not part of the parable that we've just read, but it's a further description of the role of what a father needs to be like, and that's that we need to be praying people. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 13, it teaches us very quickly and clearly. In verse 5 to 6, is the father hungers to have us pray in earnest. He desires not praying to receive admiration of man for our much speaking and our fancy words. He desires our heart. In verse 7, it says that again, our words, our rhetoric, our memorized presentation is not as important to God as our heart. Verses 9 to 10, He wants us to search for His will, not our will. In our prayers, do we dare to risk asking God to make us good fathers, make us better fathers, make us different fathers. Maybe your work as a father hasn't always been the best in the world. Maybe you know that just yesterday you were yelling at your child. Maybe you know that you spanked them harder than they deserve. Maybe, maybe there are many maybes in there. But the point is, do we dare to ask the will of God to change our hearts and change our behavior. Verses 11 and 12, the Father desires us to ignore the materialism that's going all around us and be generous toward others. Verse 13 welcomes our worship and our humility. The point is, if you want to learn how to pray, pray like Jesus. If we really are serious about prayer, look at what He prayed. Look at His modeling. If we want to be good fathers, He is our model. Today I have uh, a bit of a different thing that I want to read to you. 
uh, I have a friend of mine that I've known for many years, and I wrote to him, and I asked him if he would write for me a short testimony or a testimony of his life. This testimony will take a few minutes to read, so I want you to see if you can tune in with me on this particular father's experience. This morning we heard from Vivian and, uh, about uh, the situation with Alpha, and I hope we'll all remember the Vivian and Kathy mix in our prayers this week. Same time, I'd like to share with you a story of Randy and Chelsea. The story is this. He said, that, he said that, now this is 15 years ago. I wrote to him last week, but this is 15 years ago. In October of 2002, he got up in the morning and he said, tomorrow is the day. Our annual family trip from Lake Hawkins to the State Fair. Each year we look forward to this with great joy. This year my daughter, Chelsea, 29 years old, brought her six-and-a-half-year-old daughter to our home and spent the night with us so that we could get up in the morning and go to the fair together. We've been doing this for 30 years, one time together as a family, all of us. It's a day that I picture as in my mind and I work through with all the joys and the excitement of walking on the streets of the, of the uh, state fair and looking at the things that have been created, look at the new jars of... Uh, of jam that had been done and to be able to look at the new blankets that had been made to ride on the, in, in, on the Ferris wheel and to do this with my granddaughter. That this is a special, special day for our family. And he describes the situation with his daughter and his granddaughter and how exciting this is. He says, my tendency is to get a little pushy when it comes to time. Well, again, we're talking Father's Day and fathers and what can I say? He said, you know, I get up in the morning and my perspective is we will leave at 7.15. And, of course, with the help of my wife and three women in the house, we move out of the house by 7.45. And so he's, you know, he said, that's just sort of a norm and I'm already prepared for it. So he said, I got up that day with that attitude that I was going to be okay today and I was going to say one time and know it was going to be a different time. So he describes that. But he said, you know, we got in the car and started driving we were listening to the radio, listening to a Christian radio station. It was great. Had a wonderful time. And he said, and on top of that, that, that particular day, that particular radio station was playing some songs that my granddaughter just loved. And so I was able, from the car, to make a phone call and contact a friend who knew people at that radio station, and they played the same song two or three times. So it just made my daughter so happy, my granddaughter so happy. And so he just describes the whole experience about them riding in the car. Gradually, they get to a certain point and they decide, well, we're going to stop right up here and we're going to get, for him, coffee. But for, for the other, they want to get donuts. So they stopped and they went in. They got their donuts. They came back out to the car and everything was going great. And so they're just, it was just a family road trip. And finally, as they were driving along, the, the mother said, uh, the, uh, my friend Randy's daughter said to the granddaughter, said, um, well, how are we doing? Do you like your donuts? And, and of course, the, the little girl said, sure, I love it. Then she said, Mommy, yes, baby, I love you. I love you too, baby. You're my best girl. You're my best girl too. This is the conversation going on. And so my friends riding in the front seat are listening to this of their, their daughter and their granddaughter. They're just so excited about things. Things looking really, really good. And just about that time, a large 18-wheeler truck 
turned out across the road. And it had construction equipment in it. Randy said that at that point, he was driving and they went off the road and tried to get up into the grass and tried to find a way to get around it but couldn't. And suddenly, bang, crash. The car began to spin. Then a car behind them hit them one more time and crashed into the side of their car. They got on up a little bit further and they reached a point and Randy said, wow, the car bags work. We're okay. He and his wife said, things are fine. Turned around. The little girl was still in the seat, you know, in her little booster seat and was yelling and crying. Then he looked and he noticed that the, there was a hole in the side of the car and his daughter was gone, the 29-year-old daughter. He got out of the car and walked into the grass and found her dead. He walked back a few minutes later to his wife and uh, just said, Chelsea's not here. She's gone. And the daughter said, yes, I know. So there was a lot of shock going on. What was happening and time was slowing down for them, trying to understand... There were men who came up to talk to them. There was a lady that came up and said, Jesus loves you. The ambulance drivers came. Eventually, there was a, a helicopter that came and picked up the little girl to take her to the hospital to check and see how she was doing. Everything changed on that day. Originally, Randy said, my first thought was, I don't guess we're going to go to the fair today. Shock is so interesting. You're looking at your daughter who has just been killed in the fair. It's not going to happen today. Just confusion, lostness. And yet, as they continued to talk, we found that the little girl, the six-and-a-half-year-old, was taken to the hospital and did not have major injuries. And so Randy and his wife, ran, they went in the ambulance to the hospital to check on the even knowing that their their own daughter, the twenty nine year old, was dead. The next day they had to take a blood test for Zoe, the little girl. Then she started responding to us and others, and she had not cried at all for those couple of days in the hospital. One conversation it says that they had with the daughter said, Hey Pappy, I really enjoyed the helicopter ride. What? How is that possible? You're scared of heights. She said, yes. And you hate loud noises, right? Yes. Then how is it possible that you like the helicopter ride? It was high and loud. I know. But just turn it around. Don't worry about it. It'll be okay. Randy explains that several months earlier, he and, uh, he and his wife had begun taking his 29-year-old daughter and the granddaughter to their church. And that, indeed, during those months, there had been a major change because his daughter, who was fluent in sign language, had begun to minister in the church and be used in that way. Then he learned that, as Zoe was sharing the young daughter, that they'd been praying. She prayed every night with the mother. And the prayer was that God would give her a husband, give her a direction in her life. Randy gives a kind of a summary 
of some of the things that happened. The weird, un, unhurried calm while loading the car. The music that Chelsea loved filling her head on that day as they listened to the radio. The last words that Chelsea, the mother, and her daughter had. The sudden appearance of a woman who walked up saying, Jesus loves you. Two men who had come outside the car to help. An ambulance ride. The friends who were there. Very, very quickly. And in it all, they saw God. Over and over and over, he said, I saw God. I saw the Father who would carry me through even these hard days. His wife had turned to him while they were in the hospital with their six-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter and just simply said, I don't think I can handle this. I don't think I can make it. You know, sometimes in life we reach that point and we just simply say, this is too much for me to manage. But with the Father's help, it's amazing what we can handle. And that was the challenge. So today, I think, as we look at the Heavenly Father, surely we must have to recognize He has so many more challenges than we do in trying to deal with our behavior than what we often find between Father and Son. One of the changes in Randy's life was he said, you know, in the past, we were the, the spoiling grandparents for the six-and-a-half-year-old. From that day on, we became parents again. said that our friends changed because suddenly we were dealing with all these people that were 20, 25 years younger than us who had six-and-a-half-year-old children. So we were no longer the spoilers for our grandchild. We were parents for that grandchild. And now they've been that, in that parenting role for 15 years. Randy was available to be grandparent, to be grandfather, and to become father. I don't know who and how your father experience has been, but I do think that today is a good day for us to be thankful that whatever father experiences we've had in this world, we can recognize there is one consistent father, and that's our heavenly father. And that's what Randy learned. And Randy will tell you to this day, that experience, he didn't understand, he still doesn't understand, but he does give thanks for the fact that he knows where his daughter is because she knows the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I, today, I just want us to reflect on our own fathers and reflect on our Heavenly Father and give thanks for how He impacts our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we come to You today recognizing that we are limited in our skills and our ability. We thank You for the story of the unprodigal father that, that held on and continued to love and care and to uh, be patient uh, and to be receptive uh, and to model something for us as fathers, to recognize we are here for a purpose, that we truly do have opportunity to, uh, to guide our family, to guide our children. And Father, although we are certainly nothing like what we should be, we thank You that we can see in this unprodigal or non-prodigal Father, we can see a testimony that it's possible to remain focused on Your love beyond what we understand and beyond our own wisdom. Father, we want Your will in our lives and we ask for it. 
And we ask that we would have the courage to follow that will wherever it leads and guides. In Jesus' name.